Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 278. Today is Sunday the 20th of May 2018 and this interview is with Peter McCormick. Peter is one of the pioneers in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Having literally fallen into the space, Peter is now an experienced cryptocurrency trader, miner, blogger, podcaster and advisor, cruising the world and advocating cryptocurrencies. In this podcast we discuss the world of cryptocurrencies, why you might want to get involved, how companies could or should be viewing the Bitcoin cryptocurrency blockchain opportunities and risks, the investment opportunities, the problem with Ethereum, as well as a host of other great resources to learn from. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. So, Peter McCormick, thank you for coming on the show. Peter, you um, presented a, a just a wonderful storytelling mode at a Like Minds event, and that's where I got to hear about you and, and learn about your amazing odyssey. So, Peter McCormick, tell us who you are, and I want you to get into how you got to where you are. Hi. Hi, Minter. Thanks for having me. Um, okay. It's um, who am I? Uh, I'm just some some single dad who accidentally fell into the world of Bitcoin and blockchain, and has seen it over to kind of take over my life, and increasingly getting asked to have conversations like this about you know what has happened, what is my view on it, because it really is transformational technology. It's transforming uh, business and it's transforming finance, and you know people want to know about it. So that's this is where I've kind of ended up. All right. Well, Peter, so tell us, as I like to ask, uh, how would you describe your mindset these days? Very tired. <laughs> oh, gosh. Running around. Yeah, because it's such a fast-moving world. And there's, you know, I put out a tweet this morning saying, uh, you know, I'm in awe of certain people because there is so much to learn. There's so much in terms of technology. There's so much in terms of the economics of the tokens. There's so much in terms of... Um, how the uh, how the market is moving that there's so much to learn that I feel like I don't have enough time in the day to read everything to to grow my knowledge to have an, a, an educated opinion so right now I am I am quite tired cuz I'm working a lot of hours but but outside of that my mindset is just really excited um really excited about the opportunity really excited about um what's happening with blockchain and crypto and uh, crypto assets and really excited to see where where this is going to go and, and probably on a selfish level I'm excited because I like to create businesses and I you know I like innovation and I feel like where I miss being early involved in dot com I'm early enough to get involved in this in, in detail that's for sure so you Peter you mentioned learning of course you're an amazingly entrenched I mean entrenched you are fully knowledgeable about everything but give us an idea of where you learn and where you step to date on what's going on I guess you know that's um, a really really good question um, I sometimes people will say oh you're really knowledgeable but actually there are people with far greater knowledge than me and there's people I look up to so in terms of the technology there's a, a guy called Jameson Lopp who was who was on my podcast and you know in terms of tech and knowledge I look towards him mm. I look up to him and then in terms of things like uh, the economic side of things I look to people like Chris Bernetsky and Ari Paul who you know just really knowledgeable guys who speak about the the space really well 
in terms of how I grow my knowledge, you know, I'm hooked onto Twitter. You know, I follow a lot of people, and usually what will happen is a topic will come up that I feel like I don't really understand, and I will be going out to Medium or, 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 or just onto Google to search for articles to try and understand it and improve my knowledge. But there is there is a considerable amount to, to know and understand. Um, you know, on the technology side, fully understanding how cryptography works is really complicated. Mm. Understanding how the blockchain works is really complicated. Understanding how mining works is really complicated. Then also understanding how these utility tokens may may or may not prove to be uh, uh, prove to be um, um, I say businesses, but they're not really how they prove to be uh, like micro economies that 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 work. Is still to be seen, and you know there's people writing about it, but really it's just it's just so much to learn, there's so much to understand that I, you know, sometimes I don't know where to begin. <laughs> mm. Well, I, so I, I'm on the journey, but uh, certainly a lot further down the, the pipe chain. So what I'm gathering is that we should check out who you follow on Twitter as a good source as well. So when you, but there, there are a number, you know, when people you know want to get involved early on, and they say, you know, what should I do? There's a number of things you can do. I, I always think a really good point to start off is a book called Digital Gold by which was by Nathaniel Popper I think um, I'll double check so you can put that in the show notes sure. but, but the book Digital Gold almost tells the story of Bitcoin and the personalities and what kind of happened and that's a really good place to start then I think the book uh, Chris Manetsky's book which I mentioned before mm-hmm. Crypto Asset I can't remember the full title no, okay. but that's a really good book to start understanding the economics of crypto uh, assets and how they work they're two really good starting points but but beyond that yeah, there is so much information out on Google. You're almost best pick, picking a specific sector as well because mm-hmm. there are so many sectors. We have cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. Bitcoin, Litecoin, which are usually considered either a store of wealth or a medium of exchange. We then have the platforms and protocols which decentralized projects are built upon, the most famous being, or well-known, being Ethereum, but we also have now Neo, Icon, Dragon, Tron, so many others uh, in the space competing for that. We have the decentralized applications that are being built on top of these platforms, and then we have um, the tokenization of assets. So there are... And that would be the blockchain? They're they're all blockchain-based projects. Everything is... Uh, everything within the crypto world is essentially on a blockchain, although... Because that's a technology in and of itself that needs to be understood. Yes, although something like IOTA, I'm not sure if that's a, a blockchain. I think that the, I'm not, I think the Tangle isn't a blockchain, but again, you know, this again shows you that there's a gap in my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure... IOTA doesn't use a blockchain, but essentially the majority of these uh, crypto projects exist because of the blockchain, because of the innovation of the blockchain and the opportunity that presents. All right, so the majority of the people I'm assuming listening to this are are not crypto specialists. Uh, There's a... I, I have the feeling that there has there's a marketing problem for Bitcoin, blockchain, and in general, cryptocurrencies that is linked with darknet hackerism. Uh, you know, maybe even the sort of the other world of gamers, which most people in business are not today. At least the older farts like myself. So, do you agree with that? And and then what what's needed to improve the relationship and the reputation of 
of these cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so I understand the background to that, and that's really now, a, a, I think, a dying myth. Um, so originally people thought Bitcoin was anonymous, but essentially it's pseudo-anonymous in that... If you create a wallet and you send Bitcoin to Bitcoin, if that wallet has never been onboarded at a, uh, say, a Coinbase, then it's kind of anonymous. But but at any point you try and move Bitcoin out and try and spend it or transfer it into fiat currency, um, you're you're exposing your wallet. You're exposing yourself. There, it is now possible to track the blockchain. So, yeah, criminals aren't really using Bitcoin anymore because. They, it, it, it's actually a risk. It's kind of a dumb thing to do. So that's that's kind of a myth now. Mm-hmm. There are other cryptocurrencies, anonymous ones, which you know may or may not be used by criminals. But it's such a low percentage of the market that it's um, yes, yeah, almost it's almost uh, worth forgetting about because any technology advancement has always been adopted by criminals and pornographers in the early days but the majority of projects and opportunity exist outside of that the main marketing problem is is there these are decentralized projects so lots of them don't you know there there's no marketing team for bitcoin bitcoin is a decentralized project nobody owns it nobody runs it or the, the alternative argument it's owned and run by everybody but there's no centralized marketing team with an incentive to promote it. So it's very difficult for to build campaigns around it. Essentially, you have to find individuals who exist within the space who write about it to give you a more accurate picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think anyone listening now who thinks the um, Bitcoin and crypto is all about the dark web and criminals, um, it, you know, it, it just isn't. It's such a micro percentage these days. The majority of the work being done now is developing new technologies and new ways of spending money, storing wealth. Um, and in time, you know, if you don't research it, it, it it's just going to slowly creep up on you. And you're going to start interacting with blockchain projects. Um, and cryptocurrencies at some point without possibly even realizing it. Well, you're right to say that then that today it's no longer being used that way, but my point is that it's the reputation that's carried around the baggage. I mean, let's say just the way you got into it, which by itself is a fun, interesting story, um, shows that its, its history is not clean per se. And therefore, that's the reputation that comes with it, and still, it's still in the luggage. You no know, people haven't cleared it out yet. Yeah, but the alternative is that its history is also a liberation. You know, it it is arguable that Bitcoin is a libertarian movement, and you know, you mentioned how I got into it. Yes, you know, I wanted to buy a certain uh, medical. Um, um, a product for my mother when she was a dying of cancer, which is legal in our country, legal in other countries. Uh, I felt I don't. I did, in that instance, I don't care about the legal framework. This is about my mother's life, right. and yeah, I want her pain management. yeah, so and pain management, potential cure. Um, you know, so for me, uh, Bitcoin uh, made made it possible for me to buy this. Uh, without any risk and um, I think that's a good thing I think I think the, the cer- there's certain things which Bitcoin and crypto can do which can help liberate uh, people and help uh, increase freedom of choice and reduce uh, the control of uh, the governments in, in, you know so uh, you know and, and I understand what you're saying but that this sometimes then comes down to 
what do we want the state for? You know, right. we get into a bigger conversation. Is the state here to tell us exactly what to do, what we want to, what we can and can't do? And and I think Bitcoin has liberated us from some of the choices the state makes for us. Well, to the extent that now it's transparent about who owns what, essentially, then we're now taxable, and the state will get its fingers on any gains you make in Bitcoin currency trading, assuming you've realised the the gains. Yes, that's true. You know, and this is one of the interesting things in a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of early uh, government approach to legislation was kind of hands off. And then different governments have taken different approaches. So when China came out and outright banned it, the American government, in quite a clever way, came out and and, and said, "Okay, we're just we're going to take a hands off approach, but we support anything which creates wealth as long as it sits within our current legal framework, therefore giving them an economic uh, advantage over China. Malta has been the same. Malta has, has created a, um, an environment which is open to blockchain and cryptocurrencies, which has meant that Binance, one of the biggest exchanges, has now moved there. So it's going to be very... I think smart governments realise you can't stop Bitcoin and crypto because it's decentralised. You, you can you can block it, but you can't stop it. Therefore, you have two choices. <laughs> You've worked very, very hard to block an innovative and uh, a- amazing technology, which is great for business, great great for the economy, or you embrace it and you lead. And I, I think the, um, the American government has taken that approach. And, and, you know, yes, they will collect their taxes, but they will also see their economy grow based on uh, innovation. I mean, you just have to look at Silicon Valley, you know, the biggest, you know, technology companies in the world. Most, the majority are based in the US. Facebook, Amazon, Google, you know, these are all uh, companies that have benefited th- through the uh, growth of dot-com and the American approach to yeah, innovation and business we are going to we are going to and we are seeing the same with blockchain but i think other territories are also seeing this and and that's why you'll get places like moldova who can very well, moldova sorry malta no i think moldova's also done something as well but malta uh, uh, you know is also seeing the opportunity for for their economy all right so now let's say i'm a, an executive which with your tattoos of course you can't no one can see this but tattoos that go right down to your knuckles um which, by the way, beautiful. Rose. And I'm going to get another one after this. Oh, sweet. Um, so, people in business looking at cryptocurrencies, let's say that there are several options, one of them being invest in it for myself, figure it out for my own personal finances, check with my stock, ho- stock broker. Another one is offer it to my clients as a method of payment. Another one is use the blockchain maybe to, to create new contracts. How, how do you, what, what kind of advice or what kind of frameworks should you be looking at in, in trying to inboard, onboard this into your business? Uh, great question. Um, okay, it, it's a, it has to be a case-by-case basis. So on an individual level, on a personal level, if you are the kind of person who saves or invests I think it would be wise to look at a small percentage uh, being attributed to cryptocurrencies based on your risk profile. So if you're low risk, I don't think there's anything wrong with putting 5% of your savings and your investments for your retirement into crypto. The, the last seven, eight years of returns will, will show you that it's been a wise investment. 
it doesn't mean it will be forever, but I do think we've got at least another two to three years of crazy growth, then potentially a dip, and then uh, uh, and then a more stable growth pattern, similar to what happened with dot com. But you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. If you're sorry, if you were to, if you wanted to do that. Would you recommend buying a panier, you know, a group of cryptocurrencies to hedge your bets, or would you invest in one? So, interestingly, I have a training course. I'll, I'll give you that. You can share it out in the, in the show notes. But, but my approach to that is, again, I wouldn't tell anyone what to do because, I'm, firstly, I'm not a financial advisor, you know, typical disclaimer, but there's, there are different approaches. Some people will and only invest in Bitcoin because that is the only one that they believe in 10 years will still exist. A lot of these projects are going to die. A lot of them are overvalued. Bitcoin seems to be the safest bet. So some people will just invest in Bitcoin. Others will invest in multiple assets in some kind of index fund structure. And I think both are great. Other people will trade. I mean, I trade not regularly, so I kind of have a portfolio. I don't kind of. I do have a portfolio which is at times weighted towards Bitcoin and then other times weighted towards altcoins, depending on the market. But for most people, 95, 90, 95% of people, they shouldn't be trading. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's a bit crazy, and they need to focus on their life. But they could, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with attributing a small amount of your portfolio to um, uh, of your uh, retirement fund or your investment funds into cryptocurrency. I think that's a sound investment strategy if you then move to business again it depends on the business some businesses do not need to be involved in crypto and blockchain it's just not relevant to their business and they're looking at creating you know i've seen some projects where they're trying to put the project on the blockchain which isn't required you know the, the blockchain offers some great things you know it's an immutable database so if you want if you've got important records such as land records or you know uh, identification yes the blockchain is great because it's an immutable database but if you are um i don't know what would be a good example say an e-commerce store you don't really need to decentralize your store because it's it's these data you know it's, it's a complicated alternative to a database so it, it really is a case-by-case basis depending on the business. Also, there are multiple things you can use the blockchain for. Yes, you could be an e-commerce store accepting cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. You could be a, uh, a, a business that wants to use blockchain to decentralize part of their business. So I guess my advice to any business is they need to, they need to consider whether it's relevant to their business. So they probably should be speaking to some form of uh, a crypto expert who could just very quickly tell them you know if there's parts of their business that can benefit from crypto or the blockchain and then if if they can do then yeah of course they should be uh, they should they should be investigating it and, and considering it well that's very much along the lines of what i try to recommend when i work with my clients is that anyway you should start with what is your strategic issue and then see what are the technologies, because broadly speaking, I'm not just going to recommend a blockchain or a cryptocurrency because I'm no, I'm no expert in that. But maybe it has a solution for you, maybe it doesn't. And if you start, but if you start upstream with what you're trying to achieve, then you need to see whether that is the right solution. Yeah, of course, because you could end up investing a lot of time and money into something which your business doesn't need and makes it less efficient. You know, you will often hear about people saying, you know, crypto and the blockchain is Web3 and it's going to be as big as, uh, you know, the the Internet. 
Yeah, it depends on your 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 viewpoint and how you're measuring success, but. I don't think as a technology innovation it is as big as the internet itself. I think it's a uh, it's a layer within the internet. Um, so I just I think there is a risk that there will be people who will be looking to adopt blockchain unnecessarily and making their business more efficient. I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah, yeah, you know. So it it is all dependent upon the business, the business goals. Like you say, the strategy. What is it they're trying to achieve, and can can the blockchain help them? Invariably, I think a lot of people will invest in blockchain projects, which are just a waste of time and money. All right. So another thing that you said, Peter, at that Like Minds event was your point of view on Ethereum. So you know, we're, we're as we're trying to upgrade our knowledge and understanding of all these things, and 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 what is the blockchain, and 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 how maybe it even works. What is what? What can you tell us about Ethereum? Because I was quite, I would not say shocked, but surprised by your opinion. I can't remember what I said. What well, did I say? You were, you were not quite as positive long term. Okay. So, Ethereum is a protocol. Clearly an amazing, innovative piece of technology. And how does it differ from blockchain? Well, no, so, so Ethereum um, is a blockchain. But uh, with Ethereum, you... Well, so... It depends. Different people describe it in different ways. Uh, some people say it is the world computer. It is essentially a, a network of computers that can allow you to achieve uh, uh, different things. But you know, the thing about Ethereum is, and I am not a technologist, so you could speak to other people who will probably give you a, a, a far better answer. The two use cases, primary use cases, are ICOs and... Which is initial coin offerings, which is a, a sort of process of raising funding for a project. The second one is crypto kitties, which was uh, digital collectible assets on the blockchain. What I've seen so far with uh, Ethereum is that two things have really, well, two or three things have really stood out to me that need solving. The first one is scaling. So it's a network which is valued in you know tens of billions, yet one project, Crypto Kitties, which is where you could buy and sell. A digital asset, which is essentially a, uh, like a Tamagotchi on the on the blockchain, slowed the network down. You know, one DAP slowed the network down, increased the cost. So it presented, it, it kind of highlighted a scaling issue. When you know, if this is a, a network worth tens of billions, it's going to need to support thousands, tens of thousands, millions of apps, millions of transactions. So. That is one thing, you know. That is a that is a real issue. Now they are working on projects to solve this, but it's it's you know it remains to be proven whether how successful these are. The, the other um, issue with Ethereum is that it is a Turing complete code base, which again I'm not a technologist. There are coders who will know better than me, but but there there is a constant attack on the smart contracts which are being written. So there was a multi-sig parity wallet which require, requires multiple signatures to release funds, which was uh, had a bug in it, which was exposed, which managed to lock up, I think it was in the hundreds of millions, or over $100 million worth of Ethereum. Locked, trapped, can't ever be released. And nobody can have access to it. Nobody can get access to it. The only way those funds can be released is to uh, is a change to the code, which requires a hard fork of the code base. But in doing so... This is no longer an immutable database because 
the database has been changed, which therefore creates a precedent which is kind of dangerous. And, you know, there is lots of people talking about this. And, you know, so, you know, from my limited uh, knowledge in the the tech side, I think there's too much risk for large companies to be creating smart contracts to move around significant volumes of money when uh, uh, smart contract bugs can can um, lock up funds. All right. What about the risks associated with Bitcoin, which is not Ethereum? Because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you and I talked back, um, we, we I, I mentioned that well, there's a percentage of the block the Bitcoin that has been stolen or lost uh, to the ether, and you said, well, no, no, but that that was then. Now is now. Mm-hmm. Well, so in the early days, you'll hear some of the. Um, uh, um, Original developers and, and people involved in Bitcoin will explain that, um, you know, lots of people expect them to be rich. Uh, and I think it was Gregory Maxwell, I can't remember exactly, but who was saying the problem is in the early days, none of us foresaw what was coming. It was just this cool technology. We all mined lots of Bitcoin, but we, we also just lost them. We lost wallets and, you know, we threw away computers. So an estimated 4 million Bitcoin have been lost probably from the early days where it was just this cool project you know where it was worth less than a cent you know or, or, or you know or, or less than a dollar and people just no one could foresee bitcoin going to twenty thousand dollars you know so there is that side i think people are uh, now aren't losing bitcoin as often but but they can do and yes there is the you know the opportunity to be hacked um if you have a hardware wallet, it's very hard to hack you. You know, if you have a, if you store your Bitcoin on an exchange or in a software wallet, or in your computer, then you have a higher chance of being hacked. And so, give us an idea of a hardware wallet. So, a hardware wallet is like a USB stick. Um, there's two main types: Trezor and Ledger. You plug them into your computer, and um, and that's how you access and transfer your Bitcoin. The private key is stored within there. So. You're not exposing your private key to uh, to hackers, whereas by with uh, a software wallet, they can. Or if you have your private key stored on your computer somewhere, if a hacker can find them, they can steal your Bitcoin. Right, so if I lose my USB key, then so goes the Bitcoin. No, because you have something called a seed, which is a backup, which is say a 24-word backup, which you should keep written down and stored in two safe places. So if you use the um, the the hardware wallet you buy a new one and you can restore it so the the thing about crypto is you you are moving into the world of self-custody which means you are you are the risk taking responsibility for yourself exactly you know if you you have a bank account and somebody steals money from your bank account or someone steals your credit card invariably the invariably the banks refund you and they have a way of also retrieving those funds this is we don't have this within crypto and the blockchain space because we have essentially immutable databases um, and we have uh, sometimes um, uh, um, you know and, uh, people who are anonymously moving around the ecosystem so once once your once your bitcoin is stolen it is gone you know it's going to be very hard to recover it the only way i guess it could be recovered if the law enforcement managed to find the hacker and they force them to, to return them but I mean they can't really force them unless they the, the law enforcement finds the private keys themselves you know the, the hacker could say no 
the hacker say, I'm not returning, go to prison, whatever. Mm-hmm. So self-custody, if you move into this world, you have to, you have to be aware that you're essentially you are essentially operated with self-custody of your funds and therefore you need to research and understand security and risk which is a big step for some people all right so if i'm a business wanting to use cryptocurrencies then what do i need i mean do i have it on my laptop alongside microsoft outlook um, how am I? How does one go about integrating uh, the offer of, let's say, if I'm going to uh, allow clients to use it? What do I need to do? Uh, what's, I mean, because I can't just go to my local bank and say, "Hey, listen, dude, add cryptocurrencies to my uh, to my account." I guess it depends what you're using it for in the business. You know, if you're an e-commerce store, then you build a relationship with Coinbase and use their merchant tools, and you you almost won't touch the crypto. It would just be a uh, um, a method of payment like PayPal for your customers where Coinbase will manage the um, payments and they will manage the transfer back into fiat currency for you so that that you don't have to worry about um, on, a, on a separate uh, it depends again what you're using it for I use it to you know so my mining operation I pay all my fees in crypto to my um to the, the people who manage my rigs out in Washington I pay them in the states and I just pay them in Bitcoin so I have uh, you know, I have a wallet which I transfer to them. Uh, it, it, it all depends what the business will be using it for. It's you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a. Um, you you can't answer that question just with a with a broad answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they do want to get involved in crypto, once they've solved it, if they realise they need it, they, Coinbase is a great starting place. Mm-hmm. You know, it has its detractors. You know, people people will say it's you know it's expensive or it's it has poor customer service. You know, growing these businesses, I imagine scaling them is really really hard. And also, they have the best platform, so they deserve to charge the the, the highest fees. If you don't like it go to a crappier platform right, where the risk is different yeah. let's just talk quickly about miners um, what are what are miners exactly I mean are these just geeks that are bashing around on computers all night long what, what, what does a miner look like well, I, what do they do? I, I guess you can use the term miner to mean two things you can you can use miner to refer to a person who mines crypto and you can use miner to refer to the machine that that mines crypto but let's let's go with the machine within certain uh, cryptocurrencies certain cryptocurrencies are mined which means when Satoshi Nakamoto our mysterious inventor of Bitcoin invented it he, she, they wanted a way of Bitcoin being hard to create. He didn't just want a, a cryptocurrency where you could just print money like the government can. It had to be hard to create like gold. Gold has value, but it's hard to get. You know, we see all these documentaries of people going to the bottom of the ocean or in uh, or or going to rivers, and they're, they're they're trying to capture gold. It's hard work and it's expensive, and they have to they have to they have to mine their gold per ounce at a lower cost than they can sell it for. Bitcoin is exactly the same, but it's a digital version of mining, whereby you use a specific computer called an ASIC which is constantly trying to solve a uh, mathematical problem, which is a uh, SHA-256 hash. And it's competing with other ASICs to do this. And if it solves the problem, which creates the block in the blockchain, it receives a mining reward. And usually most of these miners are part of something called a pool, where they 
work together to solve problems and they share the rewards. So my miners are, um, you know, a Bitcoin now is worth $9,000 of today and it costs me around $6,000 to mine a Bitcoin. So you can see at the moment is a profitable exercise. If the as, as more miners come online, it's less profitable. And as the price drops, it's profitable. So, yeah, mining is, is the process of minting new Bitcoins. All right, Peter, last, uh, last question for you before you have to run off. Is, uh, what, are the techno- what other technologies um, excite you for the future? So the, the one I'm most interested of as of today, which I've been looking into, is Polymath, which is a platform for the tokenization of assets. So... A number of crypto projects are seen or, or thought to have uh, low to zero intrinsic value in that these projects which are token based, when you look at the economics of the tokens, they almost have no value or the, the use case is to be proven because the tokens are not required for, for almost anything. Um, this is a problem. Um, because when a number of these projects actually finally launch, if the velocity doesn't exist for the tokens, the, val- the value of those tokens is going to drop quite significantly. Polymath is creating a platform for the tokenization of assets, which allows for the creation of securities and fractional ownership of assets. So, for example, if you were to create a new uh, venture and you wanted to raise funds, you could create a security in their platform whereby you uh, investors can invest and receive their um, shared ownership in the form of a coin or token on the blockchain. They could then also receive their dividends on the same blockchain. They can sell their uh, assets on the blockchain. And this, for me, is a much more efficient way of, of, of creating sharehold structures or fractional ownership and allowing for distribution of uh, dividends and transfer of uh, transfer of ownership so i I think this project is really interesting i'm early in my research and investigation but it is the thing that excites me most It, it does because one of the big risks in crypto that you know the the elephant in the room is is this all nonsense? You know, are we creating a whole uh, ecosystem of projects and and platforms and uh, decentralized applications which are essentially uh, without value and without without use or without use case? This is a use case. This is a problem being solved. It cuts out middleman. It simplifies uh, ownership of assets and shares. Um, it's, it is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Yeah, it's, it's definitely what interests me most now. And to, just to be sure, you are, are thinking, you are calling out the elephant and saying it is worthwhile. It's got gray skin, it weighs a lot, and it'll be part of our future. Tokenization of assets is, I think, is, is the golden goose within crypto. And I think this is what some of the smart investors are starting to realize. Beautiful. Peter, how can someone follow you, find out about you? I'll put a lot of stuff in the show notes, but follow out about your, um, your classes online as well as uh, get in touch. What would be the best way? Uh, everything is uh, what Bitcoin did. My website is whatbitcoindid.com. On every social channel, Twitter, Medium, Instagram, I'm at whatbitcoindid. My per- podcast is what Bitcoin did. It's, everything's what Bitcoin did. If you do a search for it, you can find me. Um, I pretty much respond to anyone who reaches out to me, though that's getting relentless now. But I pretty much respond to anyone interested in meeting anyone, interested in answering any questions. Yeah, you know, uh, feel free to get in touch. And, and also, just thank you for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure, Peter. Thanks very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. 
You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on mintodial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, 
avoiding, or seeking, feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.